Greetings, all. <laughs> to Gravitas. Oh, boy. Look at the Gravitas. Uh, yeah. This is the Pilgrims Digress. We are Zach and Mr. Sagacity. That's who we are. Yeah, the Pilgrims in question digressing. I don't know where I got the in question part. The Pilgrims digressing. You don't like it still? It's, it's too far in for a new thing, buddy. So we are the Pilgrims digressing. This week, <laughs> digressing upon or from or around. What do you? What's the preposition? You digress from. We're digressing yeah. from chapter nine. Uh, we're looking a little deeper into some of the texts. I, I have to admit, I told Mr. Sagacity uh, as we were the only two guys on Sunday night to actually come back to church. The best sitting around to fight. Yeah, well, I mean spiritually. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I said I thought that this might be kind of a filler chapter. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? I disagree. Okay. A lot happens. Well, well, it's not. It's it's about the importance of what happens. Um, I think I think more so than like the quantity of what actually happens. Ah. Um, and and when we're speaking about the concept of how important it is for a Christian to be inside of a church, and um, how that is so incredibly primary um, to having any kind of success in this life. Uh, then, yeah, it, it's it's of the utmost importance. It is, in a sense, maybe a bottle episode in TV terms, right? You're going to have to explain that one. I don't that, like, know what TV is. <laughs> You're too old for that? Too, yeah. This guy is basically like prudence, charity, piety, and discretion. Um, it, it was uh, it's It's a term for in the middle of a TV series, they will put in an episode that takes place all in one place. And usually it doesn't push the plot forward really far. Instead, it goes deeper into the characters' inner lives or some conflicts or something. For example... Um, the Fly episode. The Fly episode of Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So they like they had to save some money, so they were like, let's just go in the lab. And actually wound up being one of you know the best. Not that we're endorsing Breaking Bad. We're just saying it's probably the best television that, that ever has been made. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's a number of, of these where you kind of... Look a little deeper instead of racing forward, L- looking deeper into people's uh, situation and where their head is and, and, and where relationships are and, and that kind of thing, instead of uh, just continually racing forward towards some resolution to the story. And I think that uh, after what we had uh, last time with uh, Christian racing down the hill and back up and, and all this stuff and lions and everything, and then before what's coming next time, which is you know, a whole day of fighting Apollyon, it makes sense to represent some respite, some rest, lest the reader think that the Christian life is just nonstop toil and battle. When, when even though we would say, yeah, never take your armor off, it is, it is spiritual battle, there are these places for the security and safety of his pilgrims uh, and, and rest of his pilgrims. There are uh, seasons of... Being able to just sit with other Christians and discuss how great God is and what he's done for us and talk late into the night and uh, bear each other's burdens. It's not all lonely travel and battle. I think that's why this is important. I, you know what? I agree with you now. Yeah. I talked myself into it. That was beautifully done. I want you to know it wasn't because you talked me into it. Yeah. I talked myself into it. I was here. I watched you do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh 
I can't, I can't think of the scriptural reference right now. I've been flipping around in my Bible trying to find it and failing. The command to not, not forsake the meeting of the saints, like some have done. Yeah, but you know, from you know. Hebrews... Actually, no. while you were talking yourself into it, I reread all of Hebrews right there. Couldn't find it. <laughs> no, it's in there. Yeah. Uh, I think it's Hebrews 10, actually, right? Yes. Yeah, and, and certainly faithful is going to forsake it. So mm-hmm. you, you have two different people. One of them... I don't know who's a stronger Christian going into this chapter. I kind of feel like Faithful is more aware of his own sinfulness, more receiving uh, his strength from God. And Christian is, is you know, a little behind him, even though on the road, technically, he's he's been ahead of him. That's about to change. Um, but, like, when they leave... But, like, when Christian leaves the palace, now he's better off because he's been there. Now he's armored and armed and equipped and faithful is out by himself, you know, like a a little chewy snack in the Valley of Humiliation. (laughs) Like a tasty treat. I don't quite know about that. Christian seems very aware of his sin to me in that the first question that he's asked is, why are you getting here so late? Mm -hmm. And And his response is to look at his feet. And said, you know, I would have been here sooner, but right. my frailty, my fault. Wretched man that I am. Wretched I man that asleep. I am. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, and they're both coming off of a failure of a kind. Mm-hmm. And faithfulness response is to not take rest from that fault, but I can make more progress. Now, granted, he has just spent time being tended to personally by Jesus. Which, yeah, isn't in the original text. Right. So maybe I've right. messed up a little bit what his motivation was in skipping the palace. Well, I, it seems to be pride for me. He seems to be an individual that is proud and does have more of a more of a manly man, masculine Christianity uh, way of uh, way <laughs> right. of viewing. Well, I'd say kind of a St. Peter. Sure. He's going to be the guy who's going to draw the sword yeah. and chop off the ear mm-hmm. and... And that's how next time that's what shame is going to come at him. That's a particular brand of shame he's going to bring. Is yeah. basically you're getting a little soft here. Uh, what would your friends think of you if they could see you now? Right. right. And that is okay. It, the church is full of men who are like super masculine and and tough and strong, and men yeah. who are more like John. Maybe that you know I'm going to call myself the disciple Jesus loved and mm-hmm. describe these wonderful close times that I had with him, rather than that I drew the sword and went out to battle for him. It, that's great. You know, I mean, those are both masculine things. I don't, I don't, I don't think this. Sure. Look at David. Yeah. A, yeah. He's a fantastic got example yes. of, of, of being able to talk about being a deer panting and needing God, but also able to just cut a bunch of foreskin off if it needs to be, you know, which it wasn't in that one book that we're talking about. Isn't there a whole chapter about that? I didn't read it. I wouldn't know. <laughs> but, uh, in David, you've got then a tenderness. He's writing songs. He's describing he's himself as, yeah, he's dancing, dancing before the Lord the without streets. a thought for yeah. what anybody is going to think because he's only thinking God's eyes on him and he's, he's willing to go out in battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when he falls, is it because of the really manly self-reliant aspect or is it just the frailty of all humans? Because David comes up a few times in this chapter, actually. So I think that's an interesting I think it, introduction. I think- I think it I think it could be the sinfulness that all humans share magnified and 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 compounded upon the manliness. Don't flee downstairs to 
your wives. Don't flee to prayer. Don't flee to your brother or your friend who you're going to kill. Uh, don't go to any of these people and say, this is a problem I'm having. This is an issue I'm having. This is a, just internalize it. Yeah. You'll deal with it yourself. And, he, well, and he you won't. He can't go talk to his friend who he's going right. to kill because he's right. fighting a battle that David should be fighting. What right. he could have done is just said, and obviously uh, we're talking about Second Samuel 11, uh, the the issue of David and Bathsheba, his, his, one of his greatest sins, where this man after God's own heart is a man after all sorts of lust and falls spectacularly. Uh, and then in Psalm 51, hmm. in tears, yeah. repents. But like he, he could have just said, I'm going to go take the uh, all this testosterone that I'm filled with and go s- just grab a couple of my, my mighty men and say, bring me to the front lines where I ought to be. Right. Let, let me go lead my men in battle because idle hands, uh, as it says in Second Hesitations 19.4 <laughs> of the devil's right. plaything. Um, but yeah, all of that kind of wrapped together. But then later on, even when, when David's next big fall comes, maybe not the next one, but another really major one is the numbering of the people, numbering the people. against right. God's will and command, the census, the military census, to see what his might is. Right. And obviously in there is a little shadow of what um, we see in Nebuchadnezzar when he looks out and says, behold, Babylon the great, which I have built. Yeah. Or what we see in Herod when, when they say, these are the words of a God, not a man. And he just sort of smiles to himself and it's mm. like, yeah, you know it. But all of these things, I think, tend toward amplifying something good in us. Right. And then twisting it while they amplify it. And isn't that all sin? Right? I mean, name a sin, and I will tell you how it is a good gift God has given us. Absolutely. That has been twisted and turned and turned up mm. and taken out of its context of glorifying God. So that's going to be Faithful's uh, way of falling away. When we deal with someone like Little Faith, right? it'll be his tendency toward being kind of feeble in his constitution and... and Weak and holding back. Uh, I think that I think that pliable would be a good example of this. Someone who's going to start, and then the minute that it gets hard, mm-hmm. crumple away, fall away. He's not going to follow that command at the end of First Corinthians. You know, like brace yourself, stand firm, be a man, or, or, or act like, act men. like yeah. men. He's not going to do that. He's going to crumple immediately and flee to what he perceives to be a life of ease. That ends up being, like Jesus said, it's better that you didn't even start. Yeah, you know, because now you're in a way worse situation. And maybe what he's doing there is taking the godly idea of counting the cost sure. and being um, wise and not rushing into things. Yeah. And, and the enemy is able to take that and turn it into, no, obsess about the cost and make it all about the cost. Yeah. And then you'll turn back. Now, Pliable's not a, a pilgrim. Right. Uh, you know, he's, right. Not, he's, he's one who's tasted these things and gone back and seven times worse off. Yeah. But even in true pilgrims, this is something that happens. This happens in me. And what's funny is, I don't know where pride itself, being one of my besetting sins, ends, and where any time you find yourself having a virtue or a spiritual strength, pride comes in and infects it. Yeah. You know, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Uh, that seems to be the thing that the enemy will use. Mm-hmm. And it, like you said, that brings us right back around to Faithful, mm-hmm. saying, no, I've got too much to do today. Yeah. I've got this, buddy. Don't I don't need I'll take your lunch. I'm not going to take your hospitality. It also it also fails to look to Christ and his life. He is the perfect David in that he's able to be completely masculine, you know, as he's going to be, especially on the day of judgment when he's descending, he's covered in his enemy's blood and he's ready to reap vengeance, but also he's here and he weeps. And he's moved for the women crying and 
I think that's masculine too. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. It's the right way to handle it. And though, being I meek, right? Yeah. Like I think meekness almost sums all of this up. Right. When people hear yep. meek and they think weak or f- just kind of puny mm-hmm. or wormy, meekness is power controlled. Meekness is I am nailed to a cross. Yeah. And weakness or or just basic human frailty would be like, what can I do? I'm nailed to a cross. I am. Mm. Jesus could have called on 10,000 angels. Yeah. Jesus could have caused every single one of those sneering, jeering centurions and, and officers and soldiers to their knees, along with all of the kind of wormy religious leaders who were mocking him and forced them in that moment. Right. Every knee to bow and every time to confess that he is Lord. And the fact that he doesn't is the meekness. And I've known, I've known some guys who like, they're huge and strong and very, very formidable. And they walk around really knowing everyone around them they could dominate physically. And yet they're the gentlest people I know. Mm. There's three or four people I could name. And to me, that, that combination is one of the most Christ-like things. And I think that at its best, at its, you know, purest form, faithful, kind of has that at his best he 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 embodies that and that should be what we strive for to be mm. strong and courageous to protect the weak but people won't be worried about leaving their weak little ones near us or being around us because we're harmless as right. doves mm-hmm. i really think that meekness is a core tenet of christianity because it's a core thing we emulate what's the what's the book you're reading now that that was so controversial for some reason recently uh, gentle and lowly. Gentle and lowly. And that's about meekness, essentially, right? That's- yeah, it's about the heart of Christ and how really the couple times that we see that term used throughout Scripture is that of lowly, gentle, loving, right? Um, and not this kind of wrath-filled, angry, uh, pure, holy heart. It is those things. But the couple times that we see that term, the heart of Christ, mm-hmm. it's always in relation to how he's willing to be gentle and lowly for the sake of his people. That should be what we do. That should be what we seek to emulate. We should, we should, we should be gentle and lowly as well with the people in our lives. You were emulating Christ in his first advent, which has happened when he yes. came and, and walked amongst us. And I mean, the, it's empty, the tradition that reduces Christ's coming to an example, mm. because it's a dumb example. Go get yourself killed if there's no power in it. Right. But like lay down your life be lowly and even like later commands from the apostles like think of others more highly than yourself etc all the stuff that Jesus embodied and when we have a tendency to say no I want to more identify with the second advent of Christ which has not yet happened Mm. when he will come and crush and dominate and destroy you're emulating something that we're not called to emulate then and even being drawn to that as more the go-to picture Mm. I I read it I, I think it's sad that Theology is happening on Twitter now, <laughs> but I did read it. I thought a, an interesting tweet the other day, and it was from someone that I almost never agree with on anything. But it said that people who connect most with angry, yelling Jesus assume that he is angry with the same people they are angry with. Uh, yeah, and, sure. and honestly, if I'm going to take time to think about and meditate on woe to you, Jesus, table flipping Jesus, yeah, I think I need to be the guy who is receiving the reproof. Right. Not the one standing next to him saying, yeah, what he's like the assistant coach who says everything he said, you know, you heard it, guys. That's that's not who we are well, in this equation. And I think and I think inevitably that leads us to becoming the Pharisee on the hill. 
Yeah. Thank God I'm not like these people. You know, I've been called out. I've been separated. Those things are true, certainly. Uh, and they're theologically accurate, yes. Uh, but it's not how we're designed to operate and to think of ourselves and especially outwardly towards other people as though we're better than them or we have more than them. Uh, we have more than them because we've been given more than them. And, and, and our very job is to share what we have yeah. with them. Yeah. And if we're sitting there going, I've got this and you don't, we're not sharing it. Yeah. 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 There, there's a uh, human frailty there, too, of of kind of elitism, maybe, and things. So it's taking this idea of being wholly separate uh, and and even, you know, Ephesians 1 caught up and raised up to, to, you know, be at his right hand. And instead of saying, wow, what an honor, how can I, how can I? shout this from the hilltops and share it with as many people as possible, the enemy can twist that into, I must be so special. Mm. I must be such a special guy. And, and even when people say, uh, you know, look at the cross to find your unique value. If you weren't a super special, uh, unique butterfly, God would not have sent his son to die for you. And we sure. say, no, 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 no. You look at the cross to see the faithfulness of God. Yeah. That he will send his son to die even for the rebelling person made in his image. Well, and the correct, the correct interpretation of Romans 9 not only leads you to a sovereign God, but it also leads you to a picking of individuals based on no merit yeah. found inside of themselves. And that is being this core important piece of this is that it is not based on your ability to speak uh, nothing inside that's found yourself. That person that he's calling is being put to death and being recreated into a new image after his own self. Uh, it is nothing to do with who you were at the moment of calling. And I think that can get so puffed up in people's heads, especially as they begin to learn knowledge and things like that. Knowledge mm -hmm. puffs up, love builds up. It becomes this thing that inevitably, to bring it back to faithful, would allow him to say, I don't need help. I'll continue down the way. And watchful pleading with him, no, you need rest. I know it's coming. I know what you're going to be faced. This is my job to stand here, mm -hmm. you know, and I see your bravery and I see your ability. He walks right through the lions and that's great and that's wonderful, but you need to come in here. You need to prepare for where you're going. And no, I don't. And then almost yeah. immediately regretting it. Regretting it. And of course, there's there's merit to Cyprian's uh, famous quote that you cannot have God for your father if you don't have the church for your mother. But that mm. doesn't mean you necessarily... Visit your mother. You know, right. you can have a strained relationship with your mother. And I've known Christians who are true Christians for decades and then become involved in, in the church. And by and large, they regret the time they spent apart from the church and recognize they could have been strengthened, that life could have been uh, spiritually a lot more of a blessing and a lot less of a slog well, with the church. If I could pick sleeping on the ground uh, outside... As Faithful starts to descend in the valley and he has to stay up all night, you know, yeah. because because he's, he, he's on guard and he doesn't have the weapons given to him by no, the church. No weapons and no one else to split the guard with him. Yep. Uh, and I could pick, I could pick, you know, nice, delicious meals and good wine and solid teaching and ironing, sharpening iron uh, and nice, soft pillows and beautiful vistas. And I could take that for a couple of days. I know which one I'm going to pick. Why wouldn't you? It, it, yeah, I, think, it, I think at the end of the day, pride. And, and, and just a low view of the church. Mm. So you look at it, a, you drive down your average, uh, you know, back road in northern Michigan, not in a, in a downtown or somewhere, and you see a church that is preaching the gospel 
Hmm. It's probably not going to make you stop and say, I wanted to make a lot of good time and get where I'm going, but I have to stop and look at this thing. Like uh, right. Physically, the edifice isn't going to blow you away. Uh, and often, when you are in an urban area where there is a church like that, often, not always, but often, probably more often than not, the gospel is not being faithfully preached there. But there's been some compromise. And yet, if you have the eyes of faith with which to look at, you know, the the meeting house of of the church that's truly preaching the gospel, you will see that it is this beautiful palace. That it does have this armory where 10,000 times 10,000 uh, soldiers could be armed for battle. It does have the library where you can rehearse both God's great deeds and those of the saints and those who have followed him. It has the dining room table where you are fed and fed and fed and then you can converse in fellowship. And like in in non-allegorical real life, I don't think there's anything I enjoy more than being with friends having a meal, and then just lingering and talking and talking and going, oh my gosh, it got so late. Like, those are the best, best days. And for that to be the picture of what's going on in the church, I think it's very astute on on Bunyan's part. Well, that, and and I think the most beautiful part of that is when they're able to take him up, you know, to the very top of this tower and show him that kind of pre-taste of Emmanuel's land, which is what we're doing here with the church. This is that pre-taste. Mm-hmm. It's that telescope that brings that far thing yeah. close to us yeah. and says that, look at this. This is where you're heading. It's that thing that replaces these calloused worries of the world and things like that and allows us to focus on the things above. I was rereading this morning and I was thinking about the people that in the uh, in the 1850s with the gold rush were you know, like crossing the plains in these mm-hmm. wagons and just how completely and utterly lonely mm. and just nothing that would be you're just in you're you're going an average of two miles an hour right it takes you six months to get across these vistas and and are we there yet no there is no right. there yet. there is no there yet <laughs> and it's all based on this promise that you have yeah it's all based on this promise that you have of gold right and how they would have taken a town a bastion something every single one of those days Give me somewhere to rest, somewhere to wash, somewhere to eat, somewhere to, you know, where it's not just... Somewhere where they can unroll a map and say, here's where you are. Yeah. And here's where you came from and here's where you're going. And give them a sense of their progress along the road. And yeah, yeah. Give you a a moment to just stop saying, are there hostile forces around that are going to rob me or kill me? Yeah. And just let the guard down. Yeah. And I think the beautiful thing about the church, it's at its best, it should be. Now, granted, there are things about, you know, false teachers have have skulked their way in. And we've seen recently that there are just wicked, unregenerate people who will take advantage of incredibly naive church settings to, to yeah. do evil. So you never let your guard down entirely. You protect your, your your little ones and you protect people. But spiritually, you you come to know people and they become your family to the point where you say, I, I can trust these people. I can let the guard down. I can rest with you. Right, right. We have discretion. You yeah. Know. You still invite people in. Like she does. She gives them the third degree. Right, 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 right. Oh, but, you know, you know, I have these questions for you. Exact same questions you just answered with Watchful, and that's fine, but you're going to answer them again. And then, and then, and then once she's satisfied, smiles, invites him in. And then everyone Time questions him, though, still, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. even before they either, there's, you know, what, how come your family's not with mm-hmm. you? Didn't you try? Yeah. Is it possible that, that your life worked against your your words in, and kept them back while your words invited them along? These, these kind of things that we want to, part of it is iron sharpening iron, and part of it is perhaps 
being careful in the Baptist setting that mm-hmm. uh, Bunyan is kind of representing here. Uh, he, I don't know that I don't know that he's invited into church membership or becomes a member of this church. I don't think he ever really fully mm-hmm. enters into the life of the church. But before fully embracing someone as a brother, sister in Christ, kind of testing their doctrine, testing you know, their character, having these conversations and spending some time together. Well, and 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 I think most importantly, making sure they've come to the cross. Yeah. You know, you know, how did you, you know, get here? Explain that, the route you took. One of the things that you kind of snuck in there uh, was, you know, watchful ask him if he had baggage. Mm. And, oh, it's good to hear you don't have baggage. That's yeah. a good thing to hear. You know, you know, you know that. Even though you know, a porter's whole job is to carry baggage. Right, 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 right. right. But that's okay. <laughs> it's good to yeah. hear because uh, I don't like I don't doing have any to carry work, anything. So. <laughs> but also that I know you've been to the cross. Mm-hmm. I know yeah, this thing has fallen off. Your off. Back. Yes. This is a true and genuine brother who has actually experienced Christ. And even that beautiful image that these people... Uh, throughout the night, probably could be disagreeing with each other on points of doctrine, on on on, on points of thought, so on. But it doesn't matter. Yeah, there's this, there's this, there's this, there's this overarching, prevailing love for what this man on this tree that they've all seen, and some of them afterwards spoke to. Yeah, right. Yeah. That just covers up differences of doctrine and thought, and says it's all about Christ primarily. And if that's something that you can affirm, then let's eat together. And the more yeah. they talk about him. Not the more they kind of get annoyed with each other for differences, yes. but the more they love him. The more they love him. Exactly. That, I thought, was one of his uh, best gems in this. Mm-hmm. And I had forgotten, by the way, uh, speaking of the Delectable Mountains, that that Bunyan has her say, basically, the reason they're so important is because they are closer to the yeah. celestial city than they are to us. Which means, I mean, like, that's kind of a about a halfway point or a little further and you still haven't gotten there, you know, from here. There's still a long way to go. Just this glimpse is important. And all the talking about it during the night is this. It serves the same purpose. Mm. It's it's these glimpses of heaven. You know, the, these foreshadowings, foretastes of glory. Let's get into the, the text. There's not very many of them. There's a number of them where we just basically give you the reference for what was already said. Because there's a lot of quoting right. of scripture here. This is one of the more didactic and expository chapters where the allegory gets so simple it's almost not allegory anymore (laughs) um so when he's challenged on who his people are and where he comes from he says he is from the race of japheth whom god will persuade to dwell in the tents of shem and that's the kind of thing you might think uh we would weed out in a modern presentation of this but i think it's too beautiful as an example of this scarlet cord through all of scripture that mm. we can follow back and say this story of redemption goes very much back to the garden itself. Uh, and, of course, we believe further than garden that before. to yeah. actually, yeah, the covenant of redemption. Uh, but th- this comes from Genesis 9.27. And this is right after the flood. And you remember not too long after that, Noah's like, I think I'll try my hand at growing some grapes. Uh, no one else is doing it, so I can right. be the best at that. And, and he grows the grapes he makes the wine, he drinks the wine, and he gets drunk. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there's that weird passage about how he's dishonored by his his grandson, Canaan, but that Shem and Japheth, his two sons um, that are Canaan's uncles, come in backwards and cover him over and preserve his, his integrity and stuff. Hmm. And then when he wakes up, there's this curse of Canaan, which, by the way, just kind of proving that terrible hermeneutics and great wickedness often go hand in hand yeah. in the church, visible and in church history, the just bizarre 
evil racial stuff that people have tried to pull out of that, which is nowhere in the text. Yeah. Instead, the context of this is he says there's a curse on Can- Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers, referencing the Canaanites when they come in later on in the history of Israel to come in and dispossess them from the land. Uh, and get the promised land. But then he follows it up with this blessing. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. So Shem then is the the Semitic line, the Shemitic line, if you will. Uh, Shem just means... (laughs) I mean, that's where we get that word. Yeah. Uh, Shame means name. (laughs) And the reference here is that God's giving a great name to these people. Then you have this other guy who's not going to be that chosen messianic line. He's father of Gentiles who are outside, who are strangers to the promise, aliens to God's love, all those things that that, uh, Paul says in Ephesians. And yet they are going to dwell in the tents of Shem. They are and, and. what is this if not another way of saying wild olive branches will be grafted in yeah. to the, it's just such a beautiful little, you know, it's, it's like he's dropping these pebbles or something throughout the whole Bible going, yeah, you can follow it right back and yeah. see that this is a cohesive, it's not just story, yeah, but worldview, cosmology, everything. This is, right. this is very much a cohesive thing. Uh, so the fact that he drops that in as his identity a, probably tells the porter, oh, I'm dealing with a guy who knows his Bible. Right. Yep. And B, yep. he recognizes that this is all of grace. Mm. I, I'm not even part of this chosen line. So like Romans 1, 2, 3, you, you go through, you know, the Gentiles are all uh, sinful. They've all turned aside and, and chased after their lusts and God hands them over. Yeah. And, and then, uh, you know, they've worshiped the, the created thing instead of the creator who is forever praised. Amen. And then, uh, even the chosen people in that Shem line, uh, they have the law and they've broken it. And then he goes on to everybody is, is yeah. basically lost. Uh, we get to Romans three, the poison of asps is on their lips. You know, they, they, they're all together become worthless. And yet, God still saves. That's, you know, that mm-hmm. but God that, that permeates all of these epistles. This is the same kind of idea, I think, here, where it's like, yeah, I'm not even in the top tier of people who are fallen. Mm. But by God's grace, I am going to be able to dwell on the, the tents of, of his chosen people, his purchased people forever. It, well, and it's such a biblical attitude, even for someone who could label themselves and all that boasting. Like Paul says, right? I'm a Jew of a Jew. Yeah. You know, like, Pharisee look of at Pharisees. these lines, look at these places that I'm from, and yet I'm the chief of sinners. Mm-hmm. I'm the lucky one here. You know, you know, you people are above me. That's such a Beatitudes, humble way of looking at who we are mm-hmm. when we come to this foot of this cross. And you can bring all of this accreditation and things that you want to the foot of the cross and say, well, aren't I just a click or two degrees above these other people? And No. What you're, you're bringing not. is your baggage that should have been lifted should off Should have been lifted off you. And, and uh, you know, the word there that, that he uses at, right at the beginning of the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, tokos, it, it means poor in a begging sense. But it comes from a root that means to be bent over. Like right. you recognize when when you walk down the street there in Jerusalem and there are people who are bent over, completely reliant on the mercy of others to go on living, spiritually that's you. Yes. You bring nothing to the table but a plea, you know, and I think I've already before quoted Top Lady's hymn, my favorite verse in any hymn or praise song or anything, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling, naked come to thee for dress, 
helpless look to thee for grace, foul light to the fountain fly, wash me savior or I die. Like every aspect of that. I'm naked, I'm ashamed, I'm broken, I'm filthy, and I'm coming to you and saying, if anyone can fix any of those things or all of them, it'll all be you. Mm. Christian gets that. Yeah, I don't know where I got the idea that Faithful was more in touch with his sinfulness. Clearly, that's not right. He's he, he's got it. He does. Mm. You know, he's he, he leads with that. I was just trying to give Faithful something. This poor guy. I don't want to be a bad example. He's, <laughs> I keep kicking him. When we get to his uh, kind of climax, he's going right. to prove himself to be yeah, yeah uh, a man of quality, a very faithful, yeah. very humble servant. So that's that's that first text. So as he's being questioned later in the uh, parlor, and we get a little more Downton Abbey-ish here. It's a palace, <laughs> of course. Of course. Did you see the movie? Of course you didn't. It's I didn't. Wonderful. No. Nope. The last Downton Abbey movie sucked, and this one almost completely made up for that. It was mm. great. Uh, not to have a spoiler or anything, but my favorite line was, stop that crying, I can't hear myself die. <laughs> what a line. Uh, what a British thing, too. Very stiff upper lip kind of thing. Right. Which is something that, that I guess, uh, Bunyan had overcome or it hadn't yet been invented. So while, while they're asking him about, you know, haven't you thought about these things that you left behind? Haven't you missed them a little bit? He says, truly, if I had been mindful of that country from whence I came out, I might have had opportunity to have returned. But now I desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Um, and I, I don't know who I stole this from, but but uh, had him say that he felt homesick, but not for the land he left. He feels homesick for the land he's headed to. Yes. Uh, and I think that's a feeling that all Christians can, if if they really have put their hope in the gospel, can relate to. It's to be a sojourner. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I, I'm. I want to be home. And, and as they get closer to the end of their lives, that really intensifies for saints. I've seen that to the point of, like, what can I pray for you for? That God takes me home. Yeah. Not even. I mean, I'm you know racked in pain or anything. Although sometimes that's a factor. Just I'm so homesick at this point. I'm so out of place here. I can't do anything with this body anymore. And to be present in the body is no longer a great benefit to anyone, myself included. I want to be absent from it and present with the Lord and yeah. then resurrected in both, right? So mm-hmm. that that sense of, of homesickness, longing for a better land, the, the reference given is Hebrews 11, 15, and 16. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Mm-hmm. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. That's, of course, from the Hall of Faith, which I will return to that same chapter a little later when they're in the armory. This being a picture of uh, Abraham and and Sarah. And later on, the people are going to long to return to a land that they have no business wanting to return to. Yes. What's funny is I'm doing the machine uh, Bible reading plan, which I I just love because of the way it brings different kinds of texts together. And, And it happens a lot where this sort of thing happens. I'm seeing... Both in Deuteronomy, this great warning against looking back toward Egypt, and in Isaiah, these uh, kind of oracles of doom because you're looking all these centuries later to go back to Egypt for protection. Well, so the, I'll destroy Egypt just so they're not there anymore, and then I'll punish you. It's the putting the hand on the plow and then turning the head back. Yeah, you know, you know that you know Jesus talks about it. That's not a game to be played. 
you know, you know, you're you're counting the cost and then you touch that plow. And then once it's that way, that's the direction you're looking in. Paul talks about putting our minds onto spiritual things. Uh, the Christian does understand that the things of this earth are of a lesser worth. Yeah. They're just they're just they're just they're they're, they're, they're in no way in in comparison with the glory that we have and the place that we are going. And that's very much at the forefront of Christian's mind, even before he gets here, is that he's learning to hate his sin. He's learning to hate the way that he acts outwardly inside of his sin. And uh, he talks about those golden moments that he has yeah. where where he's not tempted. He's not pulled in those ways. And he's able to think of things. Um, and then, and, you know, they test him on that and they ask why. And what um, prompts these What prompts things? these? And it's the man on the cross. Which the man on the cross. Quick aside, and then I want to talk about the other things that prompts those, because there's a couple more. Mm-hmm. But isn't it odd that he doesn't mention the man hanging on the cross when he narrates him seeing the cross and approaching the cross? Right. Then later when they ask him about it, he's like, oh, there was there was a guy on that cross. Yeah. And I think of him often. Mm. And I think maybe there's symbolism in there that we more and more understand and value just what our salvation cost as we go down that road. Like yeah. what we saw, we didn't quite grasp. And then we grasp it more and more and more. And there's, you know, <laughs> Spurgeon in his uh, pictures on the Pilgrim's Progress makes sure to mention this isn't that Romish thing where you're looking at mm-hmm. a, uh, you know, a cross with an image of Christ. And, yeah. you know, whatever, that, that could prompt someone else to just to bring that to mind. But certainly this is not that kind of thing primarily. It's a spiritual discernment of and valuing of and standing in awe of what God the Son did so that people who, according to the, the people around the table there, lived in the dunghill, yes. were born beggars, yep. and he came and died like that so that we could be princes, mm-hmm. princesses, and live in palaces. Yeah. Well, that's absurd the, in the best possible way. Yeah, you talk, talk about uh, um, uh, the scandal of the gospel. Right? Yeah. Like the great scandal of the gospel is that the infinite worth of the universe condenses himself down into babe, comes, mm-hmm. lives, suffers, right, um, dies, then, you know, comes back to a life, ascends, but that he does that for worthless, you know, is incomprehensible when we think about it, especially how our lives work. You never trade down in value for things. Right. right. You know, you know, you know, I'm not going to give you more money for something that's worth less. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. That's not, that's not however we trade. That's exactly how God operates inside of the gospel. When you say worth less, I mean, you mean worth less, right? I mean, there's something within us that is God's image that is of God that he is redeeming. So it's it's right. not it's not that he's finding value where there is none. He's seeing the value that remains. And yet, I mean, I Well, right, the value that remains that's also intrinsically from and of him. Of him. Yes. 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 Nothing that uh, remains native to ourselves. All yeah. of that we have fractured, compromised, mm-hmm. traded away for uh, you know, the, like Esau for just a, a meal now, just for something that tastes good in the moment. Yep. Uh, and now he's going to come and he's going to rescue us. Yeah, the scandal of the gospel, the the part that people just can't get their minds around to the point where there are iterations of Christianity where he looks down the corridors of time and finds the people ah. who are of great value or they have the great potential and says, well, I will die for them. Or what you'll do for him. Yeah, what you'll, yep. yeah, that you'll, you'll kind of earn back out. You know, I, so I've, I've written a number of books, um, and some of them have been published by 
major publishers, and uh, it sounds like I'm bragging, but in a minute you'll see that I'm definitely not. Um, <laughs> the way that that works is uh, you get an advance when you sign the contract, and you get the rest of the advance when you turn in the manuscript, and you get more money only if that company earns out from the sale of your book all of the money they've already paid you. They earn out. They call that earning out the advance. Now, for example, that has happened with all the books my wife, Erin Bartles, has written because they're amazing, amazing. books and, yeah. and people love them. With mine, I just got <laughs> yesterday another um, statement in the mail from HarperCollins Publishing wow. uh, that showed the meager sales of my out-of-print books and <sighs> how there only remains... Oh, something in the order of eleven thousand more dollars of oh, earning wow. to before they start paying me my royalties, right. and like the, that's impossible to happen. Mm. But far more impossible is it for us to ever earn back out, you know, all of the sin that we've done. Only Christ could do that, right. and any gospel that changes it into even Him and I kind of together taking on this project of earning back what I've lost hmm. uh, is blasphemous. At the end of the day, one other thing about the change in the way that they speak about the cross. A man on it, no one on it. One's a reminder of who we were at the great cost of obtaining us as this chosen people, royal priesthood, nation. The other is the victory that we have in it, is that there is no man upon the cross. He didn't mm. stay there. Yeah. Uh, so he's seeing the victory in the moment of victory. Yeah. I used to work with a guy who really wanted to watch a movie with me. And I get the sense after I watched it that it was more to make fun of me um, <laughs> and, and, and our faith. But oh, it was, no. it was um, Jesus in the Technicolor. Not Joseph in the Technicolor. No, 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 no. You're no. talking about are you the talking about one uh, where? Well, there was two. There was Godspell, and there was Jesus Christ Superstar. Jesus Christ Superstar. Andrew uh, Weber. Yeah, same guy who did Joseph. Came over to my house uh, to watch watch this movie. Uh, it's Jesus a Christ Superstar. Trash musical too. Well, they drive away in a van. Well, he's still on a cross mm -hmm. at the end of the movie. Yeah. No one comes and collects the body. There is no laying in peace and resurrection and empty tomb and yeah. ascension. There is no finishing of the gospel there. There is only a man's death on a cross. That's not what Christian sees. I guess he sees an empty cross and then with the tomb that all the sin falls in. There's no man in there. Yeah. He's, yeah. So, so he's, he's approaching the resurrection, mm -hmm. which is good. Yeah. Which is the, the power. You know, he died for our sins and rose for our justifications. Yeah. I think it would be problematic. If he described, he walked up and there's this guy just dead there. Yeah. Where's the power in that? You see that the power is in that he is indeed who he said he was and mm -hmm. God raised him from the dead. And then later, yeah, through communion with God and studying of his scriptures more deeply and even now communing with his saints, uh, more and more they just come to understand and it, it doesn't become a distraction from his glory. Right. Like it might if he first encountered his prince dead, it becomes a way of magnifying his mm. glory because this king of all kings, lord of lords, became obedient by his mm. own choice. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. Became obedient to death, even death on a cross, which just makes us marvel all the more at mm. how amazing and loving he is. Uh, to bring it back to the golden hours here, sure, those times of victory over carnality happened infrequently. However, when they did happen, it was truly golden. When you experience such precious times in overcoming carnal annoyances, <laughs> and I left all this exactly like this, you know, carnal annoyances. Can you remember how you obtained these victories? Yes, there are several means. For instance, when I think and meditate on what I saw at the cross, that will do it. Hmm. And when I look at my embroidered coat, that will do it. 
So this is what he's, you know, the, the holiness he's been clothed in. Uh, that's how I understand it. Mm. You as well. Plus, when I read and study the scroll I carry in my pe- pocket next to my heart, that will do it. His assurance, kind of yep. revisiting that. When my thoughts are warmly situated about where I am going, that will do it too. So thinking about the cost behind him, the reward ahead of him, and what he has now to comfort him in the present, that's an awful lot of yeah. golden moments. Yeah. You know? Well, and and um, I guess to kind of beat a dead horse, what better way to make sure that you're continually having those moments than being in a covenant church week after week, study after study, mm-hmm. you know, Wednesday night prayer service after Wednesday night prayer service or whatever it is, constantly having these ideas recommunicated to you all the more, meeting with the saints, meeting with the brothers and sisters, being able to conform all of our thoughts and christ being with you too then yes. and, that, and and you know it's become one of these oh but look at the context gotcha things to say the context of where two or more are gathered in my name there i will be also right the context is blah 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 well the context is immediately it's someone who's uh sinned against someone and they're brought before the congregation after this whole process but the implication is where two or more are gathered in therefore a congregation in a church that has elders, that has deacons, that has the proper preaching of the word and administration of the ordinances, the sacraments, in that place where you're gathered, Christ is in a special way. Yeah. And I would say even in a way that he's not when you're all alone in your quiet time, when you come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and read your scripture and pray, mm. that's good and that's great. Jesus did it. We should do it. It's it's a, a very important discipline. But... It's not an excuse for failing to keep on meeting together with the saints where Christ has promised he would be present in a, in a different way, a special way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the, you say, how can he be present in one way or another? Look at the Old Testament. One of my, not in seminary, but in Bible college, I had a, a really great prof who was an expert on things Hebraic, Brian Webster. And uh, he did his dissertation on the different notions of the presence of God in the Old Testament, that this omnipresent God is particularly present you know, the, the Lord was not in the earthquake. The Lord was not in the whirlwind. The Lord was in the still small voice. God is particularly present in the holy of holies in a way that mm. he's not. And, and he's promised to be, yes, present via the spirit in all believers. Mm. And when we come together, Christ is present. And especially when we come together around the Lord's table, yeah. Christ is present in a way that why would you deny yourself that? Yeah. If you can have it, if you can have these, you know, you think about what you pay for a night away at a nice B&B or something. And here we are invited to the Palace Beautiful as often as we want, free of charge. Mm, <laughs> come yeah. And, yeah. and come, those who have no money, come buy bread and eat. And, and That's you a good know, way to put it. Yeah. So it's a, it's a beautiful picture here that we can't, you know, I, you're right. It's not a filler episode, but it is a bottle episode. That's kind of what I meant. Uh, it's not that it has no value. It's just that if a 12 year old were listening to this podcast, we might lose him on this one because you'd be like, Nobody has fought. Nobody has, you know, climbed any mountains or... <laughs> right. Yeah. There's no, there's no monsters. Nothing's been killed in a while. Yeah. But... Yeah. At, I think I successfully teased it that next week, there's going to be some stabbing. Yeah. Yeah. We left Christian and Apollyon locked in combat, and it looked bad for Christian. So, mm. will yeah. he make it or won't we? Spoiler, he does. All right. So, uh... <laughs> 
uh, he's asked why you want to go, you know, after he says, thinking of the place I'm headed, she says, why do you want to go there? He says, there I hope to be rid of all those things that to this day are in me and annoyance, there that is again, uh, to me. There they say there is no death. So annoyance, of course, is uh, things that, that vex him, that are a, a trial to him, that are painful to him. And Thorn death itself. Side. Yeah. Um, Isaiah 25, 8, we read, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And essentially the same thing is reiterated in Revelation 21.4, way at the end of the Bible there, in the last couple chapters, that that's when it will all happen. And so he's looking forward to a time when he won't feel this conflict within him, and he won't deal with conflict outside of him, and there won't be the inevitability of sickness and death and suffering and all these things. Me too. Yeah. Co-signed, as they say. Do they say that? On Twitter, some people say that. They retweet a thing and then they put cosigned. You're not on Twitter, you don't. Yeah. No, that seems really dumb. It, well, Twitter yeah. itself seems really dumb. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Right. Agreed as well. We were talking yesterday about how if uh, Mr. Musk uh, it does go through with buying that platform, okay. yeah. the most punk rock thing he could do would just be buy it and shut down. You mean the most vital and important thing he could do for the world? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, just kill life giving. Yeah. yeah, it puts some people out of work, but he has enough money and enough companies where he could give them different jobs. Give them all severance. Yeah. Find somewhere for them to work. Yeah, help them. They make a new company that does something useful. Pay them to touch grass and actually like talk to their families. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I am still on, Pilgrim's Progress podcast is still on Twitter, but I put less and less uh, thought or time into that thing because it's a cesspool. Mm. Uh, Charity says when he talks about how he could not get his family to leave. Uh, paraphrasing, my wife doesn't want to lose the world and my children are obsessed with foolish vanities of youth or something. And I think that uh, when they looked at me being so careful not to do this or that, it shamed them Mm. because they didn't think that this or that were bad things. And Charity says, indeed, Cain hated his brother because his own works were evil and his brother is righteous. And that is almost word for word, 1 John 3.12. Uh, and, and that is true. I mean, the, the world will hate us for being, quote unquote, holier than thou, even when what we're trying to do is be holy for Christ's sake. And we're not at our worst. Yeah, we're out there saying we're better than you. Hmm. All of us have that Pharisee in us. But at our best, where we're saying, let us just be holy and live a life worthy to the calling, as Paul says in Ephesians, uh, that we have received. And you come be holy, too. Yeah, yeah, I, you can do I it I don't too. want it to be a club. This isn't somewhere where you have to own a yacht. This is somewhere where you just step in off the street and let me show you these great wondrous things. We will walk this road together. Yeah. I mean, it's not even like I'm going to say, you know, p- people have this notion of Christianity as a kind of cultish more and more, I think. And more and more mundane, ordinary things of church life shock people and make them think, oh, look how culty that is. And more and more formerly well-known words of Christ as they're rediscovered mm. by people. Oh, I can't believe he said that. Right. But it's not like that. It's not, it's no lording over like the Gentiles do. It is a simple, uh, I'm a beggar who knows where the bread is. Yep. Come with me and we can eat the bread together. Yeah. And and <laughs> and there's an infinite amount. We don't yes. have to keep it secret. And you buy it again to, in the words yep. of Isaiah without cost. Mm. Uh, it, the cost, there was great cost, mm. but it's been paid. Yeah. And I can even bring you, as we eat the bread, to the guy who paid for it 
and let's yeah. thank him together. And the guy the, continues to produce it. Yes, so much oh, more no, that so there's so many metaphors we can bring. Yeah, in. yeah, but it, so much more that there's what seven baskets left over. Twelve, uh, one for yeah, each yeah, apostle yeah. as they go around with their baskets and collect. Right. And I was just preaching on John twenty-one when Jesus calls his disciples in after the resurrection, and uh, there he feeds them breakfast, and then he reinstates Peter. And uh, I had never noticed until this time. I'm, I'm translating it. Which I do, even though there's far better translations than I could ever produce. It's the exercise of it that's good. Yeah. Uh, and I come across, you know, the artos, the, the idea that there's one loaf and one fish on that fire. Right. They've just dragged in, whatever, 137 fish or however many from the miraculous catch. But breakfast is like one and one. And that reminder, like after the resurrection, not too long before the ascension, he's still probably miraculously providing these things, this constant picture of... It all comes from me. I'm the one that you go to. And yet he comes to them when they're together. It's not this solo thing where he appears to each of them. You know, like if it were a sitcom today, you know, Michael's leaving. He's got to have a special moment with each person in the office first. Oh, right. right. Right, right, Um, Or or I think the same thing happens uh, in Parks and Rec, my other favorite uh, sitcom uh, from this millennium, where uh, when Leslie Knope's going to do it, she has to have this special little connection with it. Jesus is like, no, I'm going to come to you when you're together because that's when I feed you uh, this miraculous yeah. food. And that's when I provide for you and all these things. So as they're sitting talking over the meal, they talk about the Lord of the hill. He begins to understand certain things about this guy. There, there's present here a couple of things. One is that there, there's maybe a picture of different stripes of Christianity. You know, different ways of thinking of him in context. That's interesting. Um, you know, this to the people who live on the hill, he's the Lord of the hill, who built the house on the hill. And probably to the people who, who are passing through the valley, he's the Lord of the valley. You know, like, so so there's this sense of looking from your own context and, and seeing him on high. Christian never seems to go, oh, yeah, Lord of the hill is the guy that I serve, too. Yeah, the guy on the cross, yeah, put it together. But obviously, he, he does understand it. But as he listens, he comes more and more to recognize they speak of him in these terms of being a great warrior mm. who fought with and slew the one that has the power of death. Mm. Uh, they're, they're Christus Victor yeah. people here, and, and yeah. rightly so. The text given is Hebrews 2.14, which says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. They don't just know him as the guy on the cross. They truly know him as the God of the empty cross and the empty tomb. Yeah. Who defeated death. Mm-hmm. But they still love to talk about the cross. And yeah. it makes them love him more. This, this really is a uh, great church that he stumbled into. Oh, yeah. The best. Yeah. And, and, of course, with it being a stationary thing and him being on this metaphorical journey, mm. it doesn't make sense for anyone to say, why don't you just stay here? He's, mm. he's got to keep going. Yeah. But, gosh, uh, if you stumble upon a church like this, stay. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. You stay and you serve here. <laughs> stay, serve, receive. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful thing uh, when you find a good church. Especially, and, and you young guys in seminary. Do yourselves a favor and find one where you want to stay right off the bat. It's a nice deal. I knew so many guys who were like, well, I'll go to this place first right away. Get a couple of years under my belt. Then I'll go somewhere better. And then I'll climb the ladder. And uh, I don't know. I, I'm not saying none of them are happy or that none of them are fulfilled or that none of them went the right path for them or whatever. I'm just saying I came right here. That was uh, like 17 years ago. And 
put my hand to the plow and never look back. You want to go somewhere where you can make friends that you will grow old with, right? Hmm. I don't know. We don't want to get into the demographics and, you know, moves of young people who travel here to there to there to there, whatever. That's fine. Wherever you are, I guess I would say, find a church where you can belong and I know some people are kind of have that wanderlust or whatever. Their their work brings them all around. Maybe military families or whatever. And and it's hard to belong in one place for a very long time. But what a gift it is when you can. Yeah. What a gift it is when you can say, you know, I've now done the wedding of a little girl that I baptized hmm. and then dedicated her child. Right. You know what would be w- wicked cool? If I did that child's wedding. Wow. Yeah. Uh, to be involved in... The lives of other people is so unpopular right now, except at that surface level where you just click like, and yet people who do it have gone on to start conferences about it and devour books about it and write books about it and because it's such an important thing. I think, I think coming at that from like the perspective of a congregant, you know, you know, nothing's cooler than, than, you know, being in a place and seeing and seeing like genuine spiritual progress inside Mm -hmm. of people that you love. And this is stuff that you've prayed for them, and this is stuff that you've studied together, and this is stuff that you've talked about late into the night. I mean, I mean, I have brothers here that I am just shocked and awed at progress that they've made inside of their life, or in understanding they've come to accept. That was a dumb thing to say. <laughs> um, even just the love for their Bible and how that pours out into a love for their family, um, that's leaps and bounds from where it started. I got to double down. I got to do better. This encouragement in seeing these things happen inside of other people that I wouldn't be seeing if I wasn't part of some kind of localized church. Do you think it's part of the reason people don't want to stick around and and become involved is because they don't want to be seen growing because we tend to, just like we put the filter, you know, on the Instagram photo that makes you look like you're 10 years younger and a lizard. Uh, people will, you know, put the kind of spiritual filter on themselves and try to look like they've got it all together. And it's dangerous for people to see you grow and make mistakes and goof up and have to come back and say, I was wrong about the things that I believed or said before. Uh, and I think the same thing goes for pastors. You know, you mm-hmm. come in with this air of, oh, I'm so educated now and I have all the answers to your questions. Just come ask them. Right. And for people to see you grow and go, gosh, that 27-year-old kid who got here back then made a huge mistake and I'm even going to reference it from the pulpit. And the thing that I taught before, I have to say, I'm not as sure about now. Right. And, 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 you know, like growing implies I wasn't perfect when you met me, which is novel, I think right now. That's exactly how Christian starts this whole encounter, right? Honesty about his fallenness, about his mistakes. That is crucial to, you know, doing life together inside of the church, being upfront and honest about These were where we are. Mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, he's right. not saying I used I once was blind, but now yeah. I see. So you've got the see seeing Christian. He's like, no, like on the way in the door yesterday. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, depending on what time it is, maybe yet <clears throat> even like when Apollyon in the original text of the Pilgrim's Progress goes through all of his failings. He even says you drew back at the sight of the lions. Yep. Which was like moments before entering the door. That's something yeah. that the enemy is able to point at and say, if you had a little more faith, yeah, you would have known that you could walk right past them. So I think to answer your question, yeah, I think that's probably why. (laughs) Yeah, which, I mean, it's normal. We all want to appear like we have it together more than we do. My friend Ted and I, who used to do another podcast together, hopefully someday will again. (laughs) 
uh, have been known often to talk about like how it seemed like our parents like had their lives together way more than we do as you know we, we started talking about this as guys in our 20s and 30s mm. and now even in our we're going like it just seemed like they had it together more i think part of it is just the the stark contrast between what people want you to think they have together and and where people really are which is everyone's faking it a little bit all the time and always has been yeah everyone's struggling to keep up a little bit everyone is struggling with failures in their past and if we can just right off the bat like christian and and this parlor full of people and dining room full of people just go everybody cards on the table Mm. yep all fallen yep Yep. all bought by grace that from that starting point is there anything that god can't then do with that group of people right Mm mm-hmm that's I, I'm tempted to start thinking through Old Testament analogs to that, but there's already enough rabbit trails here. So let's. Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So I already referenced this. Uh, they said, moreover, that he had made many pilgrims princes, though by nature they were beggars born, and their original had been the dunghill. First uh, Samuel two eight. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. That's from Hannah's prayer, uh, which is kind of the source material also for, for the Virgin Mary's Magnificat. Mm. Uh, some of the highest praise that the church has repeated again and again over the ages. And a real through line with both of them is those who are lowly, he lifts up. Those who are proud and lifted up, he humbles and, and takes down a peg. Uh, that those who are the lowest. I mean, Jesus always went to the lowest. Throughout the entirety of the Bible, he goes to the, continually goes to lowest. Even low to pick a king who will be the highest. He goes to the little runt that no Let one thought find, to bring in, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me find a shepherd. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and then when they're, I mean, like, I, again, I'm, I've been reading through, so it's in Numbers and then they rehash it again in Deuteronomy. Going through the Transjordan uh, as, as the children of Israel are coming up in that final ascent to finally we're going to go in and take the promised land after 40 years in the wilderness. Who comes out to meet them but first Sihon and then Og. And Og is a giant. Mm. And Og's bed is so enormous, a bed of iron, that it's actually like on display in like a museum at the time of the writing of the book of God. <laughs> like, you can go see this guy's bed. It's so yeah. huge. And God just uh, kind of mows right through this guy. I love the long, drawn-out descriptions of battles in the Old Testament because sure. they're exciting and you can map them out. You know me and maps. But that <laughs> one's nothing. It's just like they they just destroyed this guy. Right. And, and so you had this huge, literally huge, and everyone thought he was too big to fail. Too, and yet God takes this group of, well, what have they been doing for the last 400 years? Training militarily. Oh, wait, no. Making yeah. bricks with their feet in the mud and uses mm. them as his vengeance and his judgment on on these people it's it's wild how beginning to end and when you know jesus the my favorite jesus stories are always zacchaeus come down from there you silly guy we're gonna go eat at your house right now poor woman with the pennies yes she will be remembered tell this woman's story forever Mm -hmm. no one knows what the guys before her put into that that treasure box probably they thought they'd be remembered forever but they could afford who cares yeah they could afford it I don't yeah. care at all what they brought. That woman who brought the, the widow's might, or or even uh, Mary, you know, Mary uh, of Magdalene, who is certainly one of my favorite character studies in all the New Testament, mm. from whom seven demons were cast out. I mean, 
think about what we know about other people who had multiple demons in them. Mm. This guy chained up up in the hills. People just avoided the whole area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just kind of just... disgusting to everyone. And Jesus said, no, uh, not disgusting to me. Touched her, cast out the demons. Mm. And good grief, from that moment... She loved him with a depth of love that, like, we can't even understand. To the point where the world goes, oh, they were probably hooking up or something. Mm. No, this is a pure and beautiful love that the world can't get. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's a, such a beautiful thing, the raising up. So, yeah, Hannah's song talking about the lifting up of those who are low. And then Psalm 113.7 as well. Uh, we're going along here, so I'm going to skip ahead. Back up to Hebrews 11. I'm actually not going to read it. Um, I'm just going to say that most of the things that are mentioned here are referenced in Hebrews 11, where he lists out what people have done by faith, these great deeds. And they read to him some of the worthy acts that some of his servants had done, as how they had subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. All of the things that had been accomplished, and those also, just like talking about what the prince himself had done, these deeds also, this cloud of witnesses, encouraged them and strengthened them hmm. and recentered them on what, what can be done. And, you know, we do this even with modern saints. You know, how often have we talked about, you and I even, Jim yeah. Elliott and Nate Saint and Elizabeth yep. Elliott and Rachel Saint and just like all this amazing stuff that God has been doing, undeniable stuff yeah. that God has been doing now in this world. And people we know, you know, that mm -hmm. will never be, their stories won't be told uh, again and again on this earth, but yeah, th they're worth telling for people who knew them and they're inspiring. They're, yeah. They inspire us to, to follow Jesus more closely. And finally, as they go and, and look out and behold the, the delectable mountains, which to me the word delectable means like <laughs> yeah, a yeah, delicious yeah. chocolate delicious cake. Delicious little tasty. <laughs> you, you can't change the name of something like delectable mountains, though. It's too iconic, I think. Mm. So archaic dictionaries come into play. Uh, I think context also just kind of determines for yeah. people. They're beautiful mountains. Uh, so he did, and behold, at a great distance, he saw a most pleasant mountainous country, beautified with woods, vineyards, fruit of all sorts, flowers also, with springs and fountains, very delectable to behold. That's from Isaiah 33, 16, and 17. He will dwell on the heights. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. His bread will be given him. His water will be sure. Your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. They will see a land that stretches afar. It makes me think both of Moses being allowed to go up on Mount right. Pisgah and look down yep. and see the promised land, but he didn't get to enter it. Yep. We get to enter it. Yeah. Uh, it makes me think of Paul when he's caught up and he's allowed this kind of pre-taste of heaven, heaven, right? Yeah. This, thing, this kind of third heaven and he comes back down and he, he can't even put what he saw into words. It wouldn't right. do them any benefit. I'm not yeah, going to yeah. tell you. I'm not going to write a book <clears throat> called The Apostle That Went to Heaven and make a million dollars <laughs> off of it. <laughs> right, right. It wouldn't be helpful. It wouldn't be helpful, <laughs> you know, You know. but but like, like it was inspiring and moving yeah. for me. And it gives me this focus that now I can go out and I can be stoned and I can be beaten and I can be shipwrecked and I can have all of these things happen inside of my life because I know what awaits me. Yeah, I've looked, you know, you yeah. Know. And that's when these these moments of the golden experience of mm. all of these annoyances yeah. or these appetites of the flesh and trials in the flesh fade away. Yeah. It makes you think of uh, turn your eyes upon Jesus. You know that hymn? Uh, look full in his his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's speaking, of course, not ontologically, the things of this world, as if mountains and beauty and, you know, all the things described here are bad, but ethically. 
Uh, all of the fleeting fame and success and gratification you might be able to get from this earth, all of the pits that you've fallen into by your own failing and wickedness, all of it, it just fades away because you're gobsmacked by the beauty of this place. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Mm -hmm. Right before that, he talks about how, you know, like we're beaten, but not broken. And we're this, we're not this. Uh, uh, because we have this, you know, these you know treasures and guards of clay. And this treasure that he has is the resurrection of Christ. I have this inside of my mind. And this is the thing that exists inside all of this. And this is the thing that we're preaching outward. And because we have all this, this is all light momentary affliction. Yeah. You think about his life. That's anything but light <laughs> affliction. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Two days on the open sea doesn't seem momentary to me. But in yeah. light of yeah. eternity, he recognizes... And it's not even like when I compare the two, obviously, this is so good that this... No, it's not worthy to be compared to. Yep. Like, it would be stupid to compare. It would be like somebody bragging that they had been to Grand Ledge, Michigan here, just down the road, and seen the ledges to uh, someone who lived in Yellowstone. Right. Right? Uh, or someone bragging that they had traveled, you know, 50 miles from home to someone who had been to the space station. It's truly, there's no comparison and there's no need to compare. The selfie, you know, in front of the Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. Or, a, or a, um, Lewis, I think, he he had the description of the kid who stays and builds mud pies when he's on, yes. you know, you know when, when he's on this vacation to the sea. Right. How goofy. How silly. What are you doing? Look up. Look out. Yeah. It's, you can make mud pies at home, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or it makes me think of uh, this great meme. It shows Neil Armstrong and it says, uh, went to the moon took three pictures and it shows this girl <laughs> with a, the, the mirror selfie says went to the bathroom took 38 <laughs> pictures <laughs> i'm sure i got the numbers wrong there sure. but but yeah like like look up and see hmm. what what's there you know and and i think we best can do that and remind each other and challenge each other to do that in the context of of life together as as a church a, a congregation of saints it's getting wild next door there so uh, let's wrap this this puppy up as you are on your pilgrimage, do not forsake the assembling of the saints. Make it your habit, uh, just as it says Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, as it was his practice. Make it your practice to gather with the saints. Make it your practice uh, as you gather together with fellow believers to discuss the Lord of the hill, not just things that are of no consequence. Stay vigilant, stay watchful, keep prudence and discretion and charity and piety by your side and stay on the narrow road. Thanks for listening. To support this program and for additional content and perks, visit patreon.com slash pilgrimsprogress. Make sure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, and please take a moment to leave us an honest review. This recording, copyright 2022, high and silver, all rights reserved. Produced by Brad Atchison and Zachary Bartles. Theme music licensed from pond5.com. Scripture quotations are from the ESV Bible, the Holy Bible English Standard Version, copyright 2001 by Crossway, a publishing ministry of good news publishers, used by permission, all rights reserved. For more audio experiences of my fiction, visit www.zacharybartles.com audio. Hi, and Silva. Good.